Well, belief is a complicated topic at best. And those of you who have been with us this fall know that we are working our way through a year of talking about the commands that Jesus makes, the demands that he's, he requires of those of us who say we believe in him. Jesus makes the statement, believe in me, which is a powerful call and one that is complicated. At first glance, belief can seem sort of easy. We claim to believe in things all the time. Every Saturday all fall, college football is on TV and everybody watching those games believes in a certain team. Their alma maters, the universities they're cheering on. Oftentimes coaches will say that the turning point of an athletic season was when the players started to believe in one another or believe that they could win. Those of us living in Chicago are part of one of the longest standing belief traditions in the history of sports. Perhaps someday, next year, the Chicago Cubs will win, right? Our culture spends millions of dollars a year on bumper stickers, and we slap them on the back of our cars to indicate what we believe in, what organization, what cause, what group of people. Belief systems have been a part of every culture since God created us at the beginning of time. Anyone who's taken a middle or high school Western Civ class could tell you that certain signs and symbols and markers let us know what the belief system of a group of people was like. The great pyramids of Egypt, for example, tell us a bit about the belief in afterlife that the ancient Egyptians had. Our Old Testament has stories of belief. Elijah and his confrontation with the prophets of Baal, having a, a, a challenge over who had a belief in a God that could call down fire from heaven. The ability and desire to believe is wired into us. God created us with the ability and the call and the command to believe. Yet, it is not seemingly as simple as it appears. Doubt is, in many ways, the partner to belief, and there are perhaps fewer people in Scripture who could serve as the poster child for doubt and belief as Thomas did. After Jesus' death and resurrection, John tells us that he appeared to Mary Magdalene, she thought he was the gardener. She didn't believe. And then he came to a room of disciples who were huddled together in fear behind a locked door. The rabbi, teacher, leader, the man they followed was brutally murdered by the Roman government and they feared perhaps they were next. And into a locked room filled with fear, Jesus appeared and told his disciples that it was him. Thomas wasn't there. And I can imagine the cacophony of noise and of conversation and of breathless energy as they gathered around Thomas and said, we saw him. You're never going to believe this. What? He was there. 
And I can imagine Thomas sort of maybe raising an eyebrow. Really? Really? You expect me to believe that? Really? Scripture tells us that Thomas said this, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. And then John tells us an entire week went by. And we see a similar scene play out. The disciples in a locked room, praying, enjoying community together, wondering what's going to happen. We don't know exactly what they were doing. And Jesus does appear. And he looks at Thomas and gives Thomas exactly what he knew Thomas needed to believe. And Thomas's response is, My Lord, my God, a full confession of the person of Jesus. He believed. Jesus said, Peace be with you. I don't know about you, but I find myself along the way in my life wishing I had the sort of Thomas moments. Have you ever found yourself going, If only you would appear to me in person and tell me what to do, I could figure out my life. I find myself wishing I could hold the palms of Jesus in my hands. That could help me. That would be the proof I might need to believe. Some days I find myself in good company with Thomas, and I suspect that many of you might too. And our Christian culture often does us a bit of a disservice when it comes to belief. We're seen as maybe less than faithful if we have a little bit of a a doubt in our mind. We're told to just hang tight and see it through and that belief will pull us along. But I'm willing to bet that many of us, more than once in our life, have looked up at the heavens and said, really? As a high school student, I remember I had a poster in my room. It hung over my bed. It was this bright orange poster that had a cartoon of a cat on it. And the cat was clinging to some sort of ledge and presumably over some precipice. And the verbiage underneath it said, let go and let God, which is a great saying. But I remember falling asleep at night looking at this cartoon cat Wondering what would happen if I let go. Really? Let go and then what? What am I to believe? Wondering if my faith that was told to just go for it with God could give me a few more answers. Jason Boyette is an author, writes a lot about doubts and about belief. And he says, if we're honest, sometimes God seems pretty distant. So why do we pretend otherwise? My tendency, says Boyette, is to act as if God's apparent vanishing act is something I should be ashamed of. So we wrestle with doubt and with belief alone. The reality is, though, that we are not alone. Thomas was not alone. While Scripture is brimming with God's promises, it's filled with enough evidence to believe It is also filled with a vast history of people who said, really? 
Sarah, Sarah and Abraham were promised by God that they would not only be parents, they would be the bringers of a nation of people. Yet way into their twilight years, they still found themselves infertile and without children. And Sarah had the audacity to mock God and laugh. Really, God? I'm supposed to believe that I am to be a parent? We see David crying out in the Psalms. David, the man who is said to be one after God's own heart, crying out in the Psalms, wondering why it seems that God has forgotten him. Peter is famous for his jump out of the boat and then his subsequent sinking into the lake. After a few steps on the water toward Jesus, he began to doubt and sink. And John the Baptist, the one who it was told that would prepare the way of the Lord, the one who would baptize in the desert, calling out in God's name, by Matthew 11, finds himself in prison and sends some of his own disciples to look after Jesus. And John John sends them and tells them, ask him if he is the one who was supposed to come. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or should we expect someone else? Really? We are not alone if belief appears to be an elusive endeavor at best. And yet it is a command that Jesus gives us. So how do we live into that command? Since the time of Jesus, we have done our best to gather up facts and resources to bolster our faith. The Gospel of Luke itself opens up with four verses that are an explanation of why Luke wrote that Gospel, so that there might be enough evidence to believe. When John was, like I said, in prison, and when the disciples, his disciples came back, this is what Jesus said that they were to be telling John, go back and report to John what you hear and see. Jesus himself said, believe me when I say I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles himself. My undergraduate degree is in U.S. history, and I absolutely celebrate and understand the need and the passion and the desire for historical proof, for archaeological evidence, for support systems to bolster the belief. The first time I read Lee Strobel's book, Case for Christ, I went out and bought probably a dozen copies of that book and just started throwing them out everywhere. Believe, believe, read this, you'll you'll believe. My career, my profession of standing before a crowd of people with the title pastor is built on belief. My profession is belief. Many of you believe in your professions and what you do every day as well. And, you know, there is perhaps no way to kill a conversation quicker than when someone asks what you do for a living to say, well, I serve on staff at my church. I'm a pastor. People, oh, wow. Especially if you're out at a Friday night or Saturday night social gathering, people get fidgety when they realize they're sitting at the table with a pastor. The... Response to that is often, 
mild interest, sometimes offense, sometimes excitement. Ah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I, I get what you do. I had one woman who said to me once when she asked what I did for a living, and I told her I was a pastor, she goes, oh, that's cute. Okay, cute. She said, my cousin believes in God. You should meet him. (laughs) Belief is beyond cute. It's a bigger concept than cute. Yet despite what we think is mounting evidence and despite what we believe are insurmountable facts, evidence is not enough. Increasingly, we live in a culture that doesn't go to church. The Barna Research Group or the Pew Forum or any number of organizations who research this material will tell you increasingly people are not believing it. And that traditionally, young uh, uh, teenagers through mid-20s would step away from church for a while, but churches could typically count on them returning when they were in their late 20s or early 30s because they needed a pastor to marry them or they needed a pastor to baptize their babies. And increasingly, they're not coming back. Evidence, argument, it's not enough. They and we often say, really? So what do we do with Jesus' call to believe? Is it possible that this command is less about a mental assent to a series of facts, while facts are important? Is it possible beyond that it is a call and an invitation to relationship, to an investment in the person of Jesus rather than a subscription to a list of rules or facts? Belief in God is an invitation to relationship, and the Greek word over and over when we've translated it, believe in me, is best translated believe into me. Into, the scripture tells us to come into that belief, not just believe on it, but to enter into it. The actual verbiage there is relational language. To believe that Jesus is asking us, when life often dictates otherwise, to believe the best, that he has the best for us. To believe that our best efforts should be put into him. And that whatever life throws our way, God knows how to handle it. God tells us to believe. He has our best interests at heart, and he believes in us. Belief into a person looks better and transforms our lives better than belief into a system. And why do we choose not to believe? There's a lot of reasons why people throw up their hands and say, you know what, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with this. I'm done with church. I'm done with God. And we pray they don't, but they often do. And oftentimes, you know, life is unpredictable and hard. I walked through a massive tragedy with a very close family this past year. I lost a very good friend. And that was a deal breaker for some folks. You know what? We're done. And for others, it's what brings them to faith. Life is unpredictable and hard. It's been said we are all one phone call from our knees. 
What happens when you get the call and the phone rings? What do we believe then? Can we, do we keep on believing into the relationship we've established when pain and fear and suffering come our way? Often we choose not to believe sometimes because of lack of clarity. And I think this is where those Thomas moments come in. If I could just see you in my living room, Jesus, and you could just tell me what to do with my life, who to marry, where to go to college, how to handle my parents, how to handle my children, whatever it is, if you could just give me some clarity, then I could believe. If you could just heal this or solve that. Ray Pritchard tells the story of a man named John Kavanaugh who went to India to spend time serving in Calcutta with Mother Teresa. The story goes that the trip, uh, during, the, uh, during his time there, he reached a turning point where he asked Mother Teresa for prayer. He was trying to discern whether or not his life was to follow in a similar pattern than hers, what he was supposed to do with his calling, what he was supposed to do for God in this world. And Mother Teresa says, well, what exactly is it you want me to pray for? And he said, clarity. Pray that I might have clarity. And to his surprise, Mother Teresa refused. She said this, I will not do that. Clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and the last thing you must let go of. We would assume Mother Teresa had clarity somewhere in her life. Most people don't give up everything they know and spend their lives ministering to those in a slum in Calcutta without some sort of clarity, right? And this is what she said, I have never had clarity. Mother Teresa said that. I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I pray that you will trust God. Madeline Ellingel says this, Those who believe, they believe in God, but without passion in the heart, without anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, and even at times without despair, believe only in the idea of God and not in God himself. Life is hard. We lack clarity. Sometimes also we don't believe because we have designed God with our own desires in mind. We've created God the way we think he should operate. A God who brings prosperity. A God who brings joy. A God who brings happiness. A God who would rather watch us smile than struggle. And when that God fails us, not the true God, but the God we've created, when that God fails us, often the same response. We put our hands up in disbelief. But to the troubled heart, Jesus said this, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Believe in the chaos of life. Beyond what is hard, beyond our lack of clarity, beyond the God that we've fashioned, Beyond the list of facts and figures that we have, what we are drawn to is a belief in God. Mike Murphy is downstairs right now at 2HC preaching a similar sermon. And him and I were talking this week. I said, Murphy, I'm going to quote you upstairs. What you say is so good. He says this, We live in belief by giving as much as we know about ourselves to as much as we know about Jesus. 
and we pray for our desire to increase in our knowledge of both. Belief into the person of Jesus is what we are being called to. I often illustrate my sermons with uh, stories about, about my children. I'm a mom of, of three kids, and I can only preach from what I've experienced. And I joke that there will come a day where my children will no longer allow me to tell stories about them. But uh, praise God, that day has not come yet. So, I met a gentleman, actually, after the 830 service who uh, was in his 40s and said, my dad still preaches about me. He's the son of a pastor. My middle child is five years old, and to say that he tries me would be an understatement. If any of you know a middle child, are a middle child, or have a middle child, you might know something of what I speak. And while my other two will typically listen to logic and reason, he refuses. And I spend so much of my time persuading arguing, disciplining, wishing, hoping, doing everything I can to muster obedience from him. One February morning, the other two put their boots on because there was a foot and a half of snow on the back deck. And I said, put your boots on. He went and put his flip-flops on and stood ankle-deep in snow just to prove to me that he didn't need to wear boots. This is the sort of child I'm talking about. He exhausts me. He does his best to disbelieve that what I am saying and what I am recommending for his life actually makes sense. My arguments, my discipline charts, the parenting books I read do very little to get that child to put his boots on. But what happens at the end of most of our days is that he, when he's going to bed because he's five and he's still a little bit afraid of the dark, says to me, Mom, will you snuggle me? Will you lay with me, he says, until the sky turns gray? And I said to him, I said, Honey, he says, what do you mean the sky turns gray? It's dark outside because I have in mind five minutes and then I'm out of there. He says, Mom, it's dark now, but, but it, the sky turns gray in the morning when the light comes and then you can leave. But he wants me at his side when it's dark. And it's okay to let up a little bit when the sky turns gray. And I laid there the other night thinking about this sermon and thinking about him, and I thought, isn't that what we all want? The presence of God with us until the sky turns gray. And no matter what we've tried to push ourselves into all week long and how we've wrestled with words or commands or evidence or proof, what we want at the end is the relationship, the very presence of God next to us. My son believes in me as his mother, not because I tell him to wear boots, but because I lay with him until the sky turns gray. That is what belief is. The presence of God at your side until the sky turns gray. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what God is calling us to when he says, believe into me. Put yourself into the relationship 
with Jesus. The rest of it will shake out from there. Which is no surprise then, when Jesus came into that room with Thomas, he could have said any one of a number of things to Thomas. And what did he choose to say? Peace be with you. The presence, the shalom of God be with you. Later, he says in that same passage, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed, which is us. That's the group that Jesus is talking about. So like a good pastor then, in summary, I have to ask, who is it that you believe? What do you believe into? What relationship fuels your life? Believe into me. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, it is no small thing to enter into a conversation of belief and doubt. And so many of us have so many questions, ideas, struggles, hopes, unmet expectations. But Lord, at the end of it all, your hope is that we would believe into you, that we would let your presence guide us until the sky turns gray. So for each of us here today, Lord, I pray that that is so. And beyond this room and into our lives and into our days, show us how to believe into you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.